Hello and welcome to They Did What Now, a podcast that celebrates the ballsiest moves in history, uh, random moments of what the fuckery, hold my beer moments, and the geopolitical equivalents of milkshaking a fascist. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually happy with the intro this time. You know what? Perfect is the enemy of good. Um, so the way this works is every week I have a, a different guest, a comedian, performer, or someone I just find super interesting. Uh, this week, I have with me Fiona Kenny. Hello. Fiona is a comedian, uh, lawyer, translator, uh, general pop culture aficionado, and um, just just a, one of my favorite human beings. Uh, I love Fiona's style of comedy. It's very, it's very unique, uh, very non secular based, and occasionally surreal, and has wonderful puns that I love very much. Um, also with me, we have Gron Yolk. Uh, Gronyog is a small stuffed hedgehog um, with a, a fleece coating who's here for emotional support. Um, I, 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 we had a we had a good out cuddle earlier myself and Gronyog. And um, how's your day been, Fiona? Tiring. I just got back from Brussels last night, so I just spent the day doing as little as possible. Oh, uh, that sounds nice. But still having to wash my hair. Yeah. Plus. I have um, got some work to catch up on, I'm, and I also need to get my jacket dry cleaned. Uh, yeah, I, I've had the I, I've had the kind of day where you have a job interview that you nearly miss because you sleep in, um, because you've been worrying about the job interview, so you have to get a taxi, and then your interview is forty minutes late, and then the interview is not for the job that you thought it was. Um, and also the vegan sausage rolls you got at lunch had too much parsley in them, which is a minor quibble, but just uh, o- overuse of parsley is a pet peeve of mine. Just let, let other flavorings enter your life. Then forgot my umbrella, walked to record this in the rain, and added an extra 10 minutes to the journey because of my prodigious talent getting lost on a straight road. So yay. Um, on, on the plus side, though, uh, in, in my near 30 years on this planet, uh, I've ha- I've had panic attacks in a lot of taxis, and Alan from this morning was the best taxi driver that I've ever had a panic attack in front of. That's Lo- nice. lovely guy, lovely guy. Even gave me a cigarette. So you know, if you're if you're planning on having a panic attack in a taxi anytime soon, ask for Alan. Um, that that that's just me bitching, and I'm not sure how much of that is actually funny. <laughs> also, it's kind of depressing knowing that I'm halfway between eighteen and thirty. Oh God. I'm twenty four and a half. So. Slightly yeah. leaning towards the thirty side. Uh, I said nearly thirty out in twenty seven next week. I just added an extra three years to my life. Maybe my day, my day added an extra three years to my life. Um, but I'm really excited to record this. Uh, the way this usually works is my guest has a story. Uh, I have a story, and we both go in cold. Uh, this time, I know a little bit about Fiona's story because. I asked her to do this podcast before I had that particular brainwave. And um, yeah, she'd already done a lot of research. Um, This is what happens when instead of uh, actually preparing for something, you just get really excited and hop around like a puppy on a speed suppository and um, grab people to do a thing with you instead of thinking things through. Um, But I'm I'm sure Fiona's going to make it uh, fabulously entertaining anyway. um, So we generally come in with a, a quick elevator pitch to describe what it is. So, uh, Fiona, yours is... Two child stowaways on the journey of a lifetime. Excellent. Mine is Be Gay Steel Islands. Um, so, uh, do you want to tell me about the stowaways, Fiona? Okay. 
It turns out that airports in the 1980s had home alone levels of security. 80s nostalgia is in right now, for all the popularity of Stranger Things and everything uh, being testament to that. And one thing you always see are free-range kids. Yeah. So this is an example of two free-range kids. This story is rather well known. It was the basis of a radio documentary on RTE um, called Don't Go Far, mm-hmm. which was made almost a decade ago and won a prize for the best radio documentary for a year. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, over the year even. So in 1980s Dublin, Ireland was a very poor country. And uh, there were two working class kids from Darndale. I still have to look up their names. Um, Keith and... No. So Keith Byrne, age 10, and Noel Murray, age 13. Okay. They were a bit, they seemed a bit of troublemakers, and they were, they skipped school quite a bit, so they were sent to industrial school. Now, for those of you who don't know what they were, these were reform schools run by the church, now officially referred to as children's detention centres, and famous for historical abuse. Yeah, if we have any non-Irish listeners out there, there was a delightful period in our country's history, which kind of went from 1920 to 1990, where we institutionalized basically anyone we or the church had a, a problem with. So, yeah, um, bit of a bit of a dark moment. Um, you do hear some pretty awful stories about these industrial schools. Um, we we won't go into it. Now might include some links if you want to do further research, but uh, yeah. So anyway, um, they were outside playing, and then their mom told them, "Don't go far. Be home for your dinner." They didn't listen to her, and what's interesting is the previous week they tried to take the Dart Dunleary and tried to board the boat from there to Hollyhead, but got caught and were sent back home. Okay, so they had a, a trial run. Yes, but also like they, this was. In a period that they were home from industrial school at this stage. Okay. So I'm, I'm not sure what the whole story is there, but it is something that is mentioned in the documentary. But they're running away from something. Yes, anyway. and um, obviously we will have a link um, to the documentary. Yeah, in, we'll put, we'll put in, that in, in the, the show notes. In the show notes. So they got the... So in this run, in the successful run, they got the gar- dart to Dunleary. They got the boat to Hollyhead and the train to London. Okay, wow. Then on the way there, they managed to convince uh, a man to let them uh, stay at his house. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard a little, a couple of versions of this story from people, and that is the bit that always gives me the most pause. Like, what the... F- I, 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 that could have gone so very, 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 very wrong. Um, wow. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know... Yeah, clear, clearly the adult in that situation needs to be questioned. But they, these kids managed to get that far without being stopped by anyone? Yeah, and from what like, we... Um, boy knows, it was just maybe, maybe it was just a concerned passerby and yeah. we wanted, or we wanted to help them out. Um, then we... Uh, they, well, they got the train to London, like I said. They got the tube to Heathrow. Okay. And in Heathrow, uh, they had look around, they stole items from the duty-free. Cool, as and you do. And from there... They got on a plane to JFK. And just to kind of reiterate, these these kids have now been through Hollyhead, um, a very busy train station in London, and now Heathrow, and nobody has stopped them Yeah, I mean, whenever they were questioned by the security or the hard figures, they said that they popped them up, 
by saying that their parents behind them, they're filling up with their tickets. <laughs> I'm just trying to, yeah, no, because I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who always get stopped at airport security. I, I seem to just have that sort of shifty energy uh, about me that kind of makes them go, okay, they're definitely carrying something. Yes. And, <laughs> I've well, got like drug dealer vibes yeah. and just the, the idea of being able to walk directly from the the entrance to the airport to the gate is complete. Even like, that is completely foreign to me. Like, um, um, what's interesting is like the night before um, the, the recording of this podcast, I was taking the plane back from Brussels to Dublin and we had, like, we were, we had a lot of time to kill because half the group, like, almost all of them were saying the right air flight, but myself and one of the classmates were saying the Aer Lingus flight. Okay. The Aer Lingus flight was four hours after, almost four hours after the Ryanair flight. Uh, so we had a lot of time to kill in the airport, and we ended up, when we finally decided to go to the gate, we ended up accidentally going through a wrong door and going all the way to arrivals. Oh, wow, okay. So, so we had to go back, we had to go back to, departures we had to show our boarding passes to the security personnel and then had to go through security again i had to show um because i bought a bottle bottle of wine for my parents in the duty free they had to go through again the industry again the security guard just said like next time show us your boarding pass first well that is we'll let you through Uh... but luckily like we were in time for for the flight um by the time we got to the gate it was it was just it was still boarding so it was around in the end oh that's something anyway so these uh, these kids have just arrived in JFK, having passed far, far too many adults who were looking the other way yeah, and <laughs> before they got and there. An important point to note is that the airline they flew with w- was Air India. Now, a few months prior to this, uh, the story took place in 1985, um, so not actually sure the date, but um, um, Air India Flight 182 was a subject of a terrorist attack where the plane exploded in midair killing 329 people en route from Montreal to London. Jesus. Which An attack which was orchestrated by Canadian Sikh separatists. Wow. As a result, this Air India plane, the one the boys flew on, was almost empty. The plane they got, they got onto at Heathrow. They decided to get on. Like This was a random plane. What, it wasn't until they got out on the plane, like, and they asked, like, asked where they were going, mm. that they real, like, it wasn't until like, later in the airport that they realised they're going to New York. And this is, and, and no one stopped them getting on this uh, Air India plane. Whenever, either. like I said, whenever they found out to stop them, they said that their parents were behind them with the tickets. Even after this huge terrorist attack that had killed so many people, yes. nobody's watching these kids. Okay, wow, goddamn. So, um, when they got to New York, they decided to go into the city center and see the sights. They saw. They then asked a person in uniform for directions outside the airport, believing him to be security guard, but in actual fact he was a policeman. Oh shit, it's the fuzz. He asked them who they were with, they said their parents. He asked them where their parents were, then they had an oh crap moment. Where it's kind of, oh shit, I'm actually like 5,000 miles from home right now. Perhaps this is slightly out of control. (laughs) They got afraid. It dawned on them just exactly what they had done. So they confessed to being on their own and sneaking on the plane. Okay, so the jig is up right now. And they were put in the back of a police car and questioned. questioned. Yeah, because I imagine the police want to know how the hell they got on the Air India plane. (laughs) Yeah, so um, they were questioned on what they had done and how they had done it. 
they decided to tell them the truth because this because at this stage they just wanted to go home. Yeah. They then told the police what airline they had travelled with, and obviously there is a massive security issue due to the terrorist attack. And the police were like, oh, like, you could have had bombs with you. It is very important that you show us how you did it and how you managed to get past security. Okay, so they, they took him on a, a run-through of the, uh, that well, stage well, of the well, uh, mission. Well, well not, not before they were put in a hotel for the night. They were put in a penthouse suite Ooh. with five security guards guarding the door. Okay, wow, and royal, they, royal treatment. Well, they were, well, it's a golden, like, more of the golden, the gilded cage. I mean, yeah. they got the little teeth and chips, but they were originally handcuffed to the bed. Very few stories should involve, I'm not going there, continue. <laughs> but the boys kept slipping their hands out of the handcuffs, so the ends were being taken off, but they still weren't allowed to leave the room. Oh, no. However, they still had the stolen goods with them and managed to convince the policemen to give them money by asking them what dollar bills looked like. Nice. Love the graft. The policemen bought some of the stolen goods and when they jokingly said they gave it to the hookers, or at least I hoped it was jokingly. Uh. And the following day, they showed, they, they went to the airport. They were brought to the airport, but not before they were taken on the sides. And the, the, both, sorry. Um, it's okay. The following day, they were brought to the airport. The boys showed the police which car they had come through, where they had got out of the plane, and they told immigration their parents were on their way, manned and managed to duck under the barrier. Reporters came to see them, and the security guards then brought them to the Empire State Building and bought them souvenirs. Oh, Well, at least I got to see a bit of the sights. Yeah, and they went home in their name plane. The police in America, they contacted the guardie and found out they were missing from home for several days. Okay. So the police were waiting for them when they got home to Dublin Airport. And also, the boys did think about doing a runner, up runner but when they when, when the plane stopped over Channel, but it turned out the police had given them a drink, which um had which essentially put them, put them to sleep and they woke up in Dublin. It's so so great that in the eighties it was cool to drug children. And then um when they came back to Ireland, their their parents well obviously were sick and when they came back, there's a bit of somewhat of local celebrities. They're interviewed by like asking what they had to eat on the plane. Okay, it was curry, um, and which uh, sounds racist. Yeah, it's an area in like, like they're gonna have Indian food. Well, but no, like and and has which movie that I had like saw on the plane, which is due to a kill. And essentially, they were told to come in for the dinner, and they made it to New York. The boys eventually lost um, contact. Okay. And by the time um, one of the boys was interviewed, um, he burned, um, 10 years ago, he had a partner and a child, if I'm right. Okay. Correctly. So kind of kind of a happy ending for at least mm-hmm. uh, one of the guys. Yeah. Um, so you got a, the, the sheer amount of, of gall and inventiveness um, it, it took to pull off that stunt. You know, you, yeah, you, you got to hope that they went on to do some interesting things. Well, they clearly had serious street smarts. Yeah, definitely. And um, um being from a tough area. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I I, I live around the uh the corner um from where they they grew up and it's yeah. Um I I imagine in, in the 80s uh it, it would have been uh a, a lot more of a of a difficult place to to grow up. But that was that was fascinating. Um thank you very much for that, Fiona. Thank you for having me. Okay. Um so 
my own story here now. This is quite interesting. Um, so, from the years 2004 or 2005 to 2015, the Australian government was not legally allowed to fly the pride flag over government buildings. What? Yep. Would you like to guess why? Because of Tony Abbott and being a massive homophobe? Close. Uh, it was because the this was a flag of a nation that Australia were at war with. The gay and lesbian kingdom of the Coral Sea Islands. Um, which is delightful and one of my favourite stories. Um, so just a, a little little bit of background on LGBT plus uh, rights in Australia. Um, obviously, they, they inherited the very repressive English laws uh, against male hom- homosexuality um, because at the root of most evils, you can find the English or some other colonial power. But, you know, I mean, they invaded literally... Um, like 90% of the world, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, England, except not really. Kind of sorry, but oh, not really. Um, colonialism is what we're trying to say. Fuck colonialism is what we are trying to say, thank you. Um, oh, uh, kind of a fun digression about that, but I really love that they didn't pass any laws against um, lesbianism in the United Kingdom because they didn't think women were capable of it. And they thought that passing any kind of law would give them ideas. Well, um, at the same time, um, it was still, um, there was still a huge social stigma. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. At the time. And honestly, it, and I think attitudes, the decriminalization of the law definitely helped to change attitudes. Yeah, on all sides. Obviously, not not a being a, a lesbian in Victorian England was not a, a very pleasant experience uh, for most people. But I I do just love the fact that it was kind of like no, we're not even going to mention it because the women might get ideas, and we're not going to even think they're not going to even think of it with without that. Um, which is which is fun. Um, but no, they inherited the uh the very repressive laws that go all the way back to the the Buggery Act in the 16th century. So homosexuality in Australia was illegal up until... Uh, Australia has a, a federalist system, um, system of states, and the state started decriminalising uh, homosexuality in the 70s, with uh, South Australia being first all the way up to Tasmania, which was dragged kicking and screaming in 1997. That's four years after Ireland. Four years after us. Good, good Lord, Tasmania. We Again, we were still at the point where we were institutionalizing literally everyone there. You really need to, to up your game. Um, another fun thing I found in the course of my research was that um, Australian gay rights organizations, as they were then, had the best names ever. Um, the kind of flagship one, the one that kicked off um, the movement for uh, decriminalization was CAMP, uh, the Campaign Against Moral Persecution in the 70s. So um, loving the acronyms there. Um, absolutely amazing. Um, so things seemed like they were progressing, obviously, with anything of this nature. And I was actually talking to uh, Ren Dennehy about this uh, in another episode Attitudes swing between 
accepting and not accepting. It's it's never a straight line. Um, New South Wales in particular had a, a big problem with the gay panic defense. But, you know, things tend, they looked like they were going in a, a more liberal direction. Then the Howard government happened. So Australia's formal constitution never had a specific definition of marriage. Um, I think what they had was a union of two people um, to the exclusion of all others. So that that was the definition for many years. But the Howard government, um, which came into power in the early 2000s, was very conservative. And they passed a bill to change the wording of that to uh, a ma- between a man and a woman to the exclusion of all others. Fuck that indeed. Um, so that would have made it impossible to legislate for um, same-sex marriage at all. Um, there was also a clause that nullified any and all same-sex marriages that occurred in other countries. So I think... Um, Parts of America and Canada and the Netherlands had it at the time, but if an Australian couple got married there, it's the state of Australia is not going to recognize your marriage. People were pissed off. People were were very pissed off indeed. So at the 2004 Pride March in, I believe it was Brisbane, uh, a group of activists hatched a plan. Uh, They were going to create their own country which is great. You know, you won't let me get married. That's fine. I'll make my own country with blackjack and hookers. Um, so they just, they set sail in a ship called, this is great, the Gay Flower. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, amazing. And uh, they set for, they set out on a journey to the island of Cato in the Coral Seas and set up their own kingdom. Um, it was, um, they had an emperor, uh, Dale Parker Anderson, who claimed some sort of spurious, uh, you know, to be a, like a distant relative of uh, Edward II, also known as the uh, the Nazi king. So nice, nice going, nice going on that one. Uh, but they they set up their, their own uh, community there. When I was doing my admittedly very cursory research on this topic, I got very excited because I thought they did it legally. Um, in the 80s, an Australian court held up a judgment under the um, Law of Unjust Restitution, I believe it was, uh, which um, suggests that you're entitled to compensation in the form of land or money if you're fucked over under a contract. They wanted to claim that the uh, the Constitution was a contract, they were being fucked over. And turns out they didn't. They tried. Australia looked at that and went, lol, nah. Um, so they just fucked off and stole an island anyway, which is a very Australian thing to do when you think about it. Um, again, fuck colonialism. But uh, Cato didn't have anyone living on it, so it's, a, it, it's not the worst kind of colonialism. There's no genocide involved for a start. So they set up this community, and the island remained mostly uninhabited. Uh, their sole industry was stamp collecting. Uh, they tried to get a bit of a tourist trade going, but due to there being no infrastructure on the island you needed to charter a plane uh it didn't it didn't really really take off oh. <laughs> hey that was totally deliberate i'm a comedian so they set set up set this all up they had birthright citizenship in much the same way that israel has uh where if you were queer you could just claim 
uh, citizenship of the gay and lesbian kingdom of the Coral Sea Islands. Uh, yeah. They were applied to bisexuals. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not the most inclusive of names, but I think you know any any LGBT plus person. I know I use the word queer. Um, I, I was actually talking to an older friend of ours uh, about the difference between gay and and queer um, recently, and the only the only term I could. The, the only kind of definition I could come up with was there aren't any queers in Young Fine Gael. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like queer is more of like a political... Um, so the, the gay and lesbian kingdom of the Coral Sea Islands was never uh, formally recognized by the UN. But they did declare war on Australia for the crack. And the, govern- the Australian government were like... Yeah, sure. Stops us from flying your flag, I guess. So uh, they were formally at war, formally at war with Australia for until 2015, wow. when um, Australia legalized gay marriage and the kingdom was dissolved. And um, now we're not entirely sure if the kingdom was dissolved because there was now gay marriage in Australia or because there was some sort of infighting in the group, um, which is something that never happens in single issue activist communities ever uh the the kind of evidence for that was uh dale parker anderson hadn't been uh active on the facebook page for a bit but uh we we don't know anyway it's it's gone unfortunately it didn't seem to do much to get gay marriage legalized or same-sex marriage even uh gotta be kind of inclusive there uh myself and fiona are both bisexual uh, didn't seem to do much to get that legalized in Australia. That was left to, you know, the boring part of lobbying and protest and uh, legislation. And, and yeah, um, and that, yeah, but it was a, it was a big splash, and it very, it very much fits the uh, the remit of our podcast. And I just, I very much enjoy the story. Also, congratulations to Northern Ireland to finally getting. Same-sex marriage legalized and Absolutely. abortion rights, which is which is such such amazing news. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's wonderful to think of people waking up in in Northern Ireland knowing that they can get married in their country for the first time. Um, and also that the DUP are pissed off. That's I mean the DUP competence and supply agreement has backfired on them spectacularly. Yeah, I mean. I was really hyper and on the tour nights. Edit this out, please. So I just spent the hours looking at Arlene Foster memes. <laughs> I don't know. I, Arlene Foster, yeah. You you want full regulatory alignment with the UK? Do you? Do you, Arlene? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? You got it, bitch. You got it. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's my two cents on the matter anyway. Um, so, what have we learned? Uh, we've learned that airport security and adult supervision as a whole was very, 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 very lax in the 1980s. Um, we've learned to that if you want to steal an island, apparently all you need to do is rock up to said island and say, you know, assuming no one's living there, you can just go, it's mine now. Uh, and also that gays are great at n- naming boats. So that's that, I think. We'll wrap this up. Uh, Fiona, is there anything you'd like to plug? I will be in Jester's Comedy Club on the 5th of November. Excellent. And Token Straight also in November, but the date has yet to be confirmed. Uh, okay. Um, so thanks very much for listening, guys. Um, thank you to both Fiona and Gronyog for being here. You're 
And uh, thank you for Caroline, uh, to Caroline Swords, who's graciously allowed us to, to use her own uh, recording space. Uh, she's got a podcast called Operation Project, uh, which is an excellent name. And it's about creative people who are able to follow through on their ideas, which I am definitely going to be having a listen to because um, I, I've got, got kind of an abandoned project graveyard in my own brain. Uh, I think a lot of us do. So I'm really excited yeah. to see or to hear um, what's going on there. So um, thanks very much. And we'll talk to you next time. Cool.